Hey guys, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, and this is the Gary V Audio Experience. Thing, why, YouTube was only less than a year old. Um, why was I wasting my time on it? Mm-hmm. I was building the business. Why am I spending an hour making a show and then four, five, 10, 11 hours interacting with people in the comments? I'm supposed to be running a business. Mm-hmm. I just built this big business. What are you doing? In t- you know, it wasn't that I knew how everything would play out, but I knew that it was right. I knew that people were gonna pay attention. I knew that the attention would go there. And I, and I didn't know that I would be such a showman. I didn't know I could do this. Uh, but when I realized I could very quickly, I said, okay, this is really interesting. You know, being funny in class is one thing. Being able to do it on a world on stage camera, yeah. and on camera is another thing. But it happened and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't have any entertainers or those kind of people in my family, so it never crossed my mind. Um, but when I realized I had a little something, um, and then I became addicting, you know, it builds on itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that feeling builds, makes me want to try harder to have more of that feeling and it becomes a hamster wheel. I get my best ideas when I'm in the shower or on an airplane. There are the two places where I'm being less hurt, especially if that plane doesn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, the truth is your best ideas come when you don't hear noise and you have a chance to breathe. I never breathe, so even on vacation I struggle to breathe because I, I yearn for the action. Uh, and so when I am forced to breathe, non-Wi-Fi flights and the shower literally are the places where I get my best you ideas. Have you forced yourself to have that no. time? No, no, I have enough showers <laughs> and enough flights with no Wi-Fi that I don't feel like I have to force it. This is the greatest season that a Jet fan has had probably since the 98 season. Yeah. I am obsessed with 115. I am all about the Darnolds and the Rosens and the Allens. This is an amazing okay. QB class. We, you, you're very educated. You can't win. You in think this so, city. huh? Yes. Okay. You cannot. Nice. You cannot win. Everybody watching knows you can't win in this NFL without that guy. And I'd rather go one in fifteen for the next seven years. As a matter of fact, when I own the New York Jets, mm. if I own them right now, wow. yeah, I would draft the quarterback in the first two rounds of every draft. Mm. Every draft until I have the guy. Do you have a preference of all those guys? Did you say Rosen? You said Darnold? No, because I, I would just be spitballing. I would really. This is the year I'll kind of watch a little bit gotcha, more carefully. Gotcha. Obviously, uh, they've all got their different strengths and weaknesses, yeah, but yeah. this is the class. Well, okay. So if you you own the Jets, right? Yes. Well, how does that work? Are you going to? I'm going to pick and say let's tank. Oh, yeah. So you're gonna have a talk with like your. I'm gonna do a press conference. I'll be like, listen to me, Jet fans. I'm a bigger fan than you, so I don't give a crap what you're saying. (laughs) This is how we win. I don't care if you call it the process. I don't care what you call it. Process is good. I know how to win. This is how we do it. You may not like it over the next year or two, but Theo Epstein is far less the genius that everybody makes out to. He's just extremely smart. One step backwards, two steps forward. Yeah. So I'll let Ryan answer from his perspective because it's gonna be an interesting one. You know. Um, As long as you're hearing me loud and clear when I talk about documenting versus creating, the thing that I'm so worried about in this whole personal brand thing is it gets real ugly real fast because people lie, right? Because you start faking it till you make it and you start fronting. And the reason I'm so happy that I had that meeting with that kid and it caught some wind and gave me clarity around this documenting versus creating, like I was a very different guy in a lot of ways when I was 22, 23 starting Wine Library, and, but in a lot of ways I was 
was a super similar guy, right, Eric? And so, so like, I couldn't speak to a lot of the accomplishments I had because I hadn't achieved them yet. But fuck, man, I had plenty of bravado, and it was fun. It would have been fun to be able to call those shots back in the day. Um, it would have been cool to see that meeting that Eric and I had with David Carp at Tumblr, you know, in our office. Like, you know, I, I guess back. It's funny that what Ryan was saying right before he called. My big thing is the truth. Right, like you can build your personal brand, AKA your reputation. You can hack with creating content. I'm just worried that people, when they think personal brand, start calling themselves like the seven figure expert or like, I feel like everybody turns into WWF and has to become a character, not their actual person. So I, I yeah, I'm a fan of it because I think it leads to opportunity. I think like it's a, it's a living, breathing resume at scale that has huge upside one piece of content away from changing your life as long as you're patient and realize nobody gives a fuck for the first two, three, four, five years depending on how interesting you are and what you're producing. And it has a a lot of people, I mean, the most of the market is producing stuff that nobody wants to watch. Ryan? Yeah, so I'll tell tell a quick story. In the late 1920s, 1930s, Winston Churchill is basically driven from political life in Britain, right? He'd worked his way all the way up to the top, one of the most important people in Britain, and he's driven out from politics. He still holds a a small office, but he's, he's driven out. And what does he do? He turns to radio and writing articles. He writes hundreds of articles. He gives international radio broadcasts. He's actually at this time more famous in America than he is in his own his home country. Uh, he writes books. He writes this epic series about the First World War and about the, the, the history of the English language and all these things. And he builds a, a huge platform. He becomes a media company himself. Basically, yes. Yeah. And he's publishing in Ladies Home Journal in the United States. And he... Everywhere and anywhere that will take him. And he builds And he reverse up. engineers the content for the context of the place? Yes, about all the... He becomes a famous person who has a platform. And so... He, and he begins to warn about the threat of Nazism and Hitler, which uh, people in uh, the, the British leadership was ignoring. And so finally, when they woke up and they realized we've been appeasing Hitler for all this time, and we've not been taking this seriously. And they said, and the people wanted the person to replace them to solve this problem that they'd avoided for so long. Winston Churchill was the name on everyone's lips, right? And he had he had the, the world's ear to communicate that message. And so... so it's never too late or too early to start building your platform, and you have to do it. You know, uh, Ryan just much more articulately explained the way I talk about being historically correct. The big reason I have so much passion right now of documenting everything I'm doing is because historically, I've been right about a lot of stuff, and those are missed opportunities for me, and I've been wrong. Eric remembers when I thought video email would rule the world, but I like being wrong too. You know, to me, what was refined at 41-year-old Gary that 25-year-old Gary didn't have is I try not to predict as much. What Winston Churchill didn't make up, um, he wasn't Nostradamus, he wasn't like, a man named Hitler is gonna come, like he wasn't doing that weird thing. He was just watching and social commentating in real time. That's what I've evolved into. Instead of predicting that video email's gonna win, I just recognize that voice is working, that podcast consumption is on, it's just being first, faster, and making a bet 
in the early indicators instead of guessing. And so I think that's what you're speaking to. And going directly to the people building an audience. You know, people people think like, oh, when I have my company or I write my book or I make my YouTube channel or start my podcast, that's what will get me the audience. It's, it's so be the crazy. Other way around. I don't give a shit what Drake has to say now. I would watch every minute of the three years before he became Drake. All of it. I would consume all of it. Show me the day before it happened. And then you realize it's not a day. The biggest reason I'm doing Daily V is because guys, YouTube, it's not a day before, it's the whole thing. It's just a volume of work that shows you it wasn't a moment, it was the whole fucking thing, the whole process. And so, no man, I don't think it's too early as long as you're not full of shit. And so as long as your content is, I'm not sure what I'm doing yet, or today I ate a banana, or it's really cool today that, like everybody in this room and everybody watching right now and everybody on YouTube could have gave their two cents the day Instagram copied all of Snapchat's features a year ago. It would just be fun to see what everybody thought. How do they feel? How did your mind change? Like that's just interesting fodder and if you find out that eventually you're right at social commentating, to Ryan's point, you're the name on everybody's lips. Truly innovating is easier said than done. How do you keep VaynerMedia from running out of ideas? I, I think that's very easy. All I have to do is still be the CEO. I'm only in the ideas business. I'm only in innovating. I am petrified of my own success. I know that every day that we have more success is one step closer to failure. Like, so I am, a, I am in such a great place on that question. I spend all my time on ideas pretty much all the time and could never imagine of running out of them. They've been the tried and true aspect of my 20 year career. So as long as I'm running the business, that will never stop because it is my religion. And do you, do you ever find it difficult to keep your staff hungry, the D-Rocks, the Tylers? How do you make sure that they don't get, you know, after a year or two get sort of comfortable? And- by suffocating, by not allowing alternatives. Like this is how I trade. and. Uh, by firing if they're not on board. It's a dictatorship. Like, I will not allow my employees to dictate the behavior of me. That is not strong leadership. And uh, I will not fire them blindly. I'll encourage them and mold them in the right direction. But uh, if they are not inspired to innovate, deliver on the ideas or come up with their own, they're a vulnerability and they've gotta go. And you said yesterday that culture isn't about beanbags, pool tables, free snacks. No, it is not. What is it about? What is a good office culture? How do you do it? It's about making everybody who works for you feel like they're being heard. And that's a very difficult thing. As a matter of fact, I have a vulnerability right now. I have an aggressive open door policy. The problem is people aren't taking me up on it because they're scared of taking up my time or just scared of talking to the CEO. So now I have to adjust. I have a very hardcore plan in 2018 to force engagement one-on-one because what I've been doing for the last three years isn't working. Only a small percentage feels heard. I need way more to feel heard. I can't rely on them to being heard. So now I have to force it. Guys, thanks for listening to the audio experience. Two things, one, make sure you're watching my vlog on YouTube and two, hit me up on the DM. It's going down on DM.